am back with Sierra McKenzie, and we're talking all things Enneagram, and we're diving into love on this episode. So I'm really excited to jump into this with you. And if there's any kind of like, you know, rough kind of discussion you want to bring up, or just how it's different in dealing with relationships when it comes to the Enneagram, you can start off with that. Amazing. Well, hello. Thanks for having me back. So excited to talk about love today. Um, this is one of those aspects of things. I just feel like I have a personal, not necessarily grasp on it all, but I have always loved talking about relationships and not to stereotype, but I am a girl. And so I'm always like, Oh, let's talk about this. Why aren't you happy about this? What are you feeling with this? And I love hearing from women, what they're feeling in their relationships. Um, so it's, it's always really enjoyable to have this conversation. And, and I think bringing Enneagram into it is such a highlight. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm the same way. I love talking about relationships. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this will be a great, a great chance for us to get dynamic here. So if we jump into the first um, thing I want to discuss is just how yeah. are, how do we use the Enneagram and like finding our compatibility? And then are there any types that are more compatible with others? Yes. Okay. So I right offhand would love to say that there's a type that's like more compatible, quote unquote, um, or like a perfect compatible match for each type. But, oh, there's always a but. But the reality is, I think, for when you go about that, you can miss out on a lot of interesting people. So if I went solely on past dating, like not even relationships, like I gravitate naturally towards threes and towards sevens because they pull me as a nine out of myself and into my potential with ease because it's a natural thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think that it's other types that I wouldn't necessarily think right offhand that I would be compatible with that I often click with on a really deep level. Um, So I think that being said, there are some things you learn after being in the dating world for a little bit. And that is that there are people that you're going to potentially have some longevity with um, more than others. So if you're looking for like a short-lived relationship, like something fast and fun, it's almost not worth it. Um, But if you're looking for something longevity wise, then a lot has to do with health. So short listed, I do have a list of types that probably are compatible with others. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I think it's great. And just, just to make a note too, when you mentioned that you don't want to kind of cut yourself off from others, I'm not sure like your views on horoscopes. I'm not a horoscope person, but I feel like that's always been a thought that I've had because Mm. you'll hear someone say something like, oh yeah, a Libra and a Pisces, but then like, oh, this person's not a typical Pisces. They, they behave more like a Virgo. So I feel yes. like that starts getting kind of confusing. And then if you're just saying like, oh yeah, Libras don't, you know, um, mesh well with like a cancer <laughs> that could be your, you know, that could be your person and you're going to just cut yeah. it off because of like their birthday. So I think it's more of this like nuanced personality assessment thing that I feel like is giving us more of like an insight than a birthday, but what, what are your thoughts? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. I like, I've not ever been able to get into horoscopes because I'm like, they're constantly changing. Like, I don't know much about them, but I feel like whenever I look at them or when someone's trying to explain them to me, I'm like, they're constantly changing. And I don't need that kind of instability in my life. Like, I don't need to know that one day <laughs> right. this person is going to be great. And then the next day, you know, they could be mad. And then all yeah. of a sudden everything's gone to the dogs. You know what I mean? Like, right. I need some more stability. And I feel like when we're looking at these kind of types, like it's psychological, it's in your inner workings and your system. And obviously like you're going to enter a relationship with baggage of some kind. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. like there's still those innate workings of you that are going to be consistent, you know? And so I feel like there's a little bit more 
easement in this aspect of things. Yeah, no, so, totally yeah. agree. Yeah, I'm not, the only thing I know about horoscopes is literally what my sign is because someone told me, but I don't know any of the different, <laughs> yeah, because like you said, it's always changing. What I thought I knew about something might've changed. It's too much to keep up with. Too much. And I'm like, I don't, I already have everything else to keep up with and everybody else yeah. to keep up with. And about and, <laughs> right, right. No. So I now I do respect to those people who can. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you can keep up with it and want to do it, that is great. But yeah, the Enneagrams, <laughs> it makes me feel more stable. Yeah, you know, and that's it's hopefully the point of it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about the shortlist. Okay, so we're going to go through each type in order, and I want us to notice, like right out of the gate, as we go through these, that what is considered best for one type doesn't necessarily mean it's the same for the other two, and so that right there is like the importance of a healthy relationship, um, because a type one, for example, here comes the short list, goes really well, apparently, with types two and seven, um, whereas like a type two is going to go really well with a three and an eight, so... It definitely is more of that push and pull dynamic. It's not necessarily something that is like, oh, I'm a type one, so therefore I only work well with twos and sevens, and sevens and twos only work well with me. And again, that is why the importance of being open to people, not necessarily even based on their type, is such a huge deal. Right. Okay. So just diving into that type one, I think type ones work with twos so well just because they're slightly, twos are slightly less regimented than the type one. Like type ones can be all about morale and all um, a little bit more rigid in their standards, mm -hmm. but both types share that high standard. Both types share that potential for the wing with each other. You know, the one and the two right next to each other. Right. Um, and the two has a more nurturing side of things naturally, and it helps the one just kind of release themselves a little bit, not necessarily have to make sure everything is perfect all the time because mm -hmm. the two is going to love them anyway, you know, right, whereas right. the seven is the more complimentary side to the wheel since they're connected, um, on that amazing wheel that we looked at in yeah. episode one. So they're more spontaneous. They bring the one out of themselves a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. The type two, I believe, works better with the three and the eight aspect of things because the three, again, shared wing, and this doesn't go for everybody, but they do have that shared wing and that's really helpful. And type twos, are they love to give attention, as we talked about, and threes love receiving attention. Um, and so they give them all uh -huh. the attention and the desire, and then the threes put the two on the pedestal that they want a little bit. Okay. Um, there's that really nice push-pull dynamic there. Yeah. Whereas the two and the eight have that same shared line. So they're complementary. They share aspects of each other, but they also have similar attributes and similar energy. They both really care deeply about people. They both can kind of, like the two will play off of the eight's energy. The eights will play off of the two energy. So they have that complementary side of things. Does that right. kind of make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I'm just kind of flying through these. So feel free oh. to interrupt me anytime. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So type threes work really well with fives, sevens, and eights, hypothetically, right offhand. Um, type threes work really well with fives because fives are really focused on the work. So they really understand the three in that aspect. And they understand the threes need for space, you know, after the three is out motivating people all day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, they work together really well in that aspect. And then the five and the sevens, they are still complementary. Again, like looking at that diagram. Um, although they're not necessarily connected offhand. So threes are the workers, sevens are the players, um, but their energy is still matched. So while a three is going to be go, 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 go on the work side of things, the sevens are going to be go, 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 go on the play side of things. And so they both draw the antithesis out of each other a little bit more. The three encourages the seven to maybe focus a little bit more, and the seven encourages the three to go play and have fun. 
Got it. Okay. Um, and then the eights, or I'm sorry, the nines. I said eights before, but it's definitely the nines. <laughs> Threes and nines work well. Got it. And the nine, and this is a common couple. Threes and eights, I feel like would also work well, but they both are very um, strong personalities, and so. Yeah there is that dynamic that they have to deal with as well. But threes and nines, I feel like is a relatively common couple uh, because nines offer the really high empathy and support that a three needs. And then threes bring out the nines confidence and strength in certain aspects, help them make decisions, help them figure out just all the different aspects of a nine's life when they're like, Oh, I want to do this, but then I also want to do this. And so they bring that stability. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So type four, I think, works really well with type five and type nine. Um, and it's funny because we talked about it last time. There's that that push and pull dynamic, that antithesis of the fives and the fours, and then the nines and the eights. But fives and fours are both highly creative, highly intelligent individuals. And the five provides grounding in the relationship with the four, but the four provides the emotional outlet for the five. So both of them can eventually open up over time. Both of them probably won't be an open book as soon as they make that connection. But as they open up over time, they're going to really provide some stability for each other, security for each other. Um, And to be honest, they could also run away with things a little bit. Um, It's not like they're going to be like, okay, I'm going to be a solid firm foundation for the other person. They have the ability to play with each other and um, test the boundaries a little bit, which is fun for both of them. Um, And the type four and the nine are both just very private, very sensitive by nature. So there's a really nice element of respect there. Um, Again, both creative. They just respect each other because they understand each other. The four and the nine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at, as you're going through these, I'm just yeah. trying to make sense of some of them before you even give the explanation. These are certain things that you're bringing out would have never thought about. Yeah. So what about the, and pardon me if there's some that we've, we've went through, but um, like right. the, the one in the three, for example, because I know you, unless, unless we're getting to something else on that, but the one in, in the can- three, for example, is like, I know you mentioned the perfectionist, wants to do certain things a certain way. Like they, they mm. want things completed, but they want it that certain way where the achiever says, Hey, I want to get to this result. And like, if we can take some shortcuts along the way, we can go for it. Is there yeah. some kind of like a shift there? Or is it just like, is how does that work? <laughs> so that's fun. Yeah, exactly. And there are certain aspects, I think of both of them that will work together. The yeah. one is going to really And honestly, I think probably one of my biggest resources that I love would be like the original Enneagram Institute website because they go through each of these types in depth and how each type in depth works with each of the other types. So if you're like super concerned about, oh my gosh, I'm a one, I'm dating three, this is why all of these things suddenly make sense. It's probably worth looking into just to say, oh, okay, like how can I, how can we fix that aspect of our compatibility? Okay. I think types one and type three specifically, there has to be some kind of compromise in that Um, because the one is always going to have that little voice in the back of their head that's like, but it wasn't right. It wasn't correct. Unless they learn, they learn how to um, minimize that a little bit. And honestly, that's a really strong part of the one's mental grounding. So it's one of those things that you don't necessarily want to enter a relationship with a type one, knowing that they're type one, obviously, um, and make it your mission to silence that inner critic of theirs. Right. Um, In health, the inner critic is going to go away over time. It's going to be there, but it's not necessarily going to be blaring loudly in anybody's ear because 
it's not meant to do that, you know? Right. Um, and while we are all our own worst critics, a type one is just, it like, it's the same as the rest of us. We're, we're all dealing with it. It's just a little bit louder in their head. Whereas yes. a type three, as you said, loves the shortcuts. And so, or doesn't necessarily love the shortcuts, but it's completely open to any and all kinds of shortcuts. They're not going to okay. worry about it. So I think that like making sure that there's a good dynamic of, hey, I get what you need. Hey, I get what you need. And recognizing that a relationship takes two people that are willing to give a little bit. Um, yeah. I think that all is where it comes down to, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what about the, hmm, wait, actually, before I go in with my, with my questions, were there any other ones that are, that you would pinpoint are very, might be more compatible than the other? Oh, I think the type five goes well with the one and the two. Okay. Because they're independent, both are intellectual, both are interesting. And then the two opposites attract. Okay. Okay. I don't know why the five and the two have been such a good like I've heard it is a quite a common pairing, but just in like research behind both of them, fives are huge in personal space. Twos can be generally terrible at setting boundaries, but they both work so well together. Um, and I'm not mm. sure if, cause there's like a consistent easement to it where the two is like, I love you. And the five is like, I love that I can be alone, but somehow it just works. It's the opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, type six works well with a type nine offhand because both crave stability both are reliable type seven works really well with nines and ones because they're sociable and easygoing what were you gonna say you said type six and which one type seven both work well with nine got it because i'm because type six is yeah. because they're like the loyalist right the yes s- okay yeah they okay. want the security want the stability in the relationship nines are all about stability um, just because in the world where everything is very uncertain, nines can get a bit flustered. And so they, if they have mm. some kind of security and stability in their lives, mm. you're going to find it in a type six, which is interesting because the six is technically the nines quote unquote stress point. <laughs> so I always think oh. it's funny because when I'm around sixes, I'm like, Oh man, I wish I could be the healthy version of you. And I just have not gotten to that stage in my life yet. Like <laughs> everything wonderful about you frustrates me to a certain yeah. extent like yeah. love you as a person but also could drive me crazy but they're great like small guy. like small doses kind of thing yes okay yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah um and then sevens I think go well with the nines because they're sociable they're easygoing they love to look for the silver lining um but I think sevens would also sit, go well with one because they both hate acknowledging negative feelings but they both have a relatively high morale which is helpful or the one has a high morale and that's really helpful for the seven um, okay. just because the seven can be quite woo into the into everything and then one can be mm-hmm. like but let's let's stop and think about that let's let's figure that out a little bit together um, and the seven you mentioned the- is the one right where if they're getting stressed out it's like how can i distract myself and like yeah how can i do more- how can i do okay yeah okay. yes that's exactly right the type 8 and the type 9 they work so well together. Again, an antithesis. There's that push-pull dynamic. And the, a lot of people find that attractive in a relationship, like not to be fighting all the time, but still to be like, no, this is what I think. And this is what I think. And I think it's that element of board um, that neither of those types necessarily want. Like they both crave stability, but they also would never in their wildest dreams want to be bored in any way, shape, or form. So nines are laid back, eights are assertive, nines help the eight relax, eight helps the nine to be more assertive. Like it's one of those dynamics that it's like they're both so completely opposite. There's such a good match for each other. Balance. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. So And then the last one I think would be the type 9. They work with the 1, 2 and 3. So Oh, interesting. Mhm. It keeps the one less critical, gives it more structure for the two. I think both are they're similar, they're supportive, they love organizing and helping others. And then three, just highly motivational to the nine. We kind of chatted about that before. Mm-hmm. So, that is my short list gone too long. I love No, I love <laughs> this. I'm going to actually try to throw in some other like I'm looking at some other ones that would be interesting to kind of hear yeah. like I'm thinking like uh did we did we cover the 4 and the 7? We did, but and we're, we're saying that those those work well together. The four and the seven together, those could be interesting because the four, I think, is looking for someone who's willing to have regular heart-to-heart conversations, mm-hmm. whereas okay. the seven is looking for someone who wants to share in adventures. But the seven is also looking for someone who wants to help keep them grounded and kind of help things keep, stay clarified. And mm-hmm. so that is that is found in a four. But I think that the seven could oftentimes, if they're not healthy, they could really overrun the four's sense of personal space. And that could make the four withdraw. And the four could really overwhelm the sen- the seven's like need to enjoy life. Not that fours don't, but there's also this like, um, I guess more or less like balance that would need to happen and two lives, two individuals that would really need to interweave. Um, and fours and sevens are actually quite similar in certain aspects of things. They, mm-hmm. they get mixed up all the time when people take the Enneagram test. They're like, I'm a four or I'm a seven and I don't really know. And especially, um, and we might talk about this in the next question when we talk about subtypes um, because that changes everything. So, Oh yeah. I'm yes. so into that part. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about so, um, what was it? The four and the nine. Do we get into those two together? Yeah. Yeah. So fours and nines both are, I think we said they're both just like very private people, generally speaking. They're uh-huh. both really sensitive. They both have creative tendencies. And as we had discussed, like I laugh because someone telling me I was a four for quite maybe six to eight months, um, before I was like, I'm never, ever, ever looking at the Enneagram, ever. Um, they thought I was a four. Look but at you now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How far we've come. <laughs> so glad. So glad. Um, but yeah, they're quite similar just in like the way they carry themselves. Fours can be a little bit more soft-spoken. Nines can be a little bit more soft-spoken, obviously, depending on their wing. Um, but yeah, they're they're very sensitive. They're both highly empathetic people. Fours feel all the things. Nines feel everybody else's things. So mm. yeah, they, okay. they do work well. Yeah. What about the one and the eight? The one and the eight. I have seen this relationship pairing before. And they are not on the short list of compatibility, but that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. um, because they both are very similar again. Um, and I say this probably because they're both in the instinctual triad. So they actually share that. And the nice thing is the eight oh, right. has the possibility to move a wing into the thinking triad, whereas the one has the possibility to move a foot into the feelings triad. So they actually are a really, really strong balance right offhand because they share that instinctual. So they're both like very action oriented. They're both like, no, this doesn't, you know, it doesn't work well with our guy, but they also have the ability to think from a logical point of view and an emotional point of view. And so when you bring that together into a couple, it just works super well. And again, like they, they're both extremely justice oriented, which could be fun when they get into some kind of conflict. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) The one is like, it's not right. And the eight is like, don't try to control me. But again, it comes down to a lot of compromise. 
a lot of communication and healthy boundaries and, and right. it's a great match. Like none of these, I think it's really important again, like none of these, like if you're, I don't know if you're like a seven dating a type four that we just talked about, mm-hmm. don't go and end your relationship. Because, <laughs> Please because don't do it. Yeah. Aren't necessarily like quote unquote compatible because obviously you know what you're going to find your person in someone that you probably don't expect that much and that's what makes it fun you know yeah (laughs) yes please don't end your relationships um or or find that someone you don't feel you're compatible with and literally just get with them because the numbers are matching up on the short list (laughs) oh my gosh yeah that's not mm. um I think one more that sounds fun and you can take this however you want but I'm actually looking at three different types and I find it interesting to hear what it would be like in a dynamic that maybe involves either like the investigator, like type five and the yeah. skeptic type six, mm-hmm. or even like the skeptic and a type eight, who's the challenger. Yes. Okay. So we're talking five and six or five and eight or we're six talking, and eight. Um, five and eight or I'm, I mean, really I'm thinking five and eight, six and eight or five and six. Okay. Because they all just see, like, we have, like, someone that's investigating here, like, very, you know, maybe precise or, like, wanting to get the information. I hear skeptic, and I'm thinking, like, they're doubtful. And then we have a challenger over here who's, like, let me basically, like, yeah, let me challenge every point that you're (laughs) making. So. Yes. (laughs) And one of those is is also me. So this is very interesting. Yes. I see. I see. Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you, too, by the way, what is your, um, you mentioned your boyfriend. Do you know what type he is? So I don't know. And actually, this is a good learning lesson for me. So I don't remember if I actually had him take the test. Mm-hmm. I have, we have been discussing this as if he's a one, but I don't remember if he's actually taken the test yet. So we can say a one, but I'm going to get confirmation. And when we just, when we talk next week, maybe I can come back with that answer. I would love that. I would yeah. just, I'm so interested now because okay. I'm like, oh, this is fun to chat about. <laughs> Um, so just going to the five and eight, they share that stress line. So there is some kind of connection with them. And I'm just going to pull my diagram up here on this end, because I think it's important to note that there is still that consideration for each other. And then if you think about it, they also share the security line as well. So if you're an eight, you're thinking about that going to stress. But if you're five, the potentiality is that you're going to be you're still going to be connected to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that something like that's really important to look at is just like how well you connect on the sense of having good, having good conflict resolution, having good boundaries. Yeah. I think we'll be talking about conflict resolution shortly anyways. Um, but if you're a five and you're in a relationship with an eight, whereas if you're an eight and in a relationship with five, because there is a little bit of a difference, you need to know what the best aspects of you that you're bringing to the table are. And you need to understand that, you know, sometimes the eight is going to feel like they need to be overbearing in order to actually get your attention. So it could be a little bit of an interesting um, challenge for the two of them. Yeah. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong Um, because again, they are connected. So they share that complementary line together. Okay. Um, And the eight has a wing in seven. They have a wing in nine. The five has the wing in four and the wing in six. So they still have certain dynamical aspects of themselves that really work well together. Right. Okay. It's just making sure they're both at health. The five needs to, the eight needs to understand that the five is withdrawn a little bit. Mm. They don't love conflict. The eight doesn't love conflict, but they're also really, really good at it. Let's be real. Like they're like, cool, let's communicate. Let's talk about this. We'll figure it out where the five is like, 
I need to retreat for a minute, figure out why I'm feeling this way, because remember, why is really important to the five, and then go from there. So there still needs to be some stringent, like, okay, we work well together. Let's figure out how we communicate together. Right. Kind of yeah. Okay. And and so I see the point that you're making too is at the end of the day, because you said it's not that, you know, even if one type and another type may have some conflict, doesn't mean that they can't work well together, but it's like making sure this mm-hmm. makes me think, think of something like along the lines of like um, the five love languages, right? Like you, yes. it's more about knowing the desires and fears of that type. So it's not you just saying this person, I'm not like, I'm not compatible with this type, but being mm-hmm. aware of their, of those certain characteristics so that you can work together. Right. hundred percent. And I love that you brought love language into this because I, well, I laugh because I think about my parents and I remember growing up, my dad it is so acts of service oriented. Mm. Like he will, he would just wake up and do things around the house. Wait. And didn't you say that you you're back and forth between if your dad's a one and something else, right? And an eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, if I'm correct that my boyfriend's a one, he is very acts of service. Ah, that's very interesting because I have actually noticed that as a pattern in ones. I did a survey probably last year or maybe the year before, and it was the most, it it got so much lash back. Like everybody was like, that's not me. But we did a, I did a massive (laughs) poll um, on my social media that was like, what type are you and what's your love language? And type ones, almost a hundred percent of them were like acts of service, full stop. Um, They need help making things perfect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. So interesting. But then my mom, on the other hand, as a t- she is quality time, words of affirmation. Like, and so it's, and those happen to be my dad's lowest on the spectrum. And so I think even mm-hmm. like knowing that and knowing, okay, giving and receiving is completely different. And that's something I feel like we rarely talk about. Like the way yeah. you give love is different than the way you receive love. Sometimes, like sometimes if you're lucky, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> But the majority of the time, you know, it's like, I don't know. What's your love language? So acts of service would actually be, I think it was lowest for me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My, my top, I believe were, yeah, it was quality time and physical touch. So acts of service, low gifts. I don't care if I never get a gift, like your, your gifts are your time for me or for me. Um, But I think we both have the yeah, we both really value physical touch. And then he's got acts of service. I've got quality time. I think I want to say like his second though, mm. or maybe his third was quality time. See, it's so Yeah, but we both don't care about gifts. <laughs> like it's just not a thing. That's so helpful. <laughs> it's funny. I wonder if that has a lot to do with our nine wing. Because mm. I'm so it's funny because I share and our nine and eight because I'm the yeah. same exact way. Quality time, physical touch gifts don't care about like could not care less so it's really funny how we share a lot of those similar yeah um but yeah it's funny like so I love we should do like a a little crossover episode and talk about language that would be so cool yeah would love that let's definitely let's definitely do that okay um but yeah going back to the six and eight (laughs) audience is used to me rambling so I I digress I'm so I'm all about it no I'm all about it and again love that we brought the love languages in because I think that makes such a difference like yeah Mm -hmm. it's huge because again yeah eight you could have an eight who's like 
physical touch, bring it on. And you could have an eight that's like, don't touch me. Like my sister hates physical touch. And it is so funny because one of the sisters loves physical touch, the one type eight, and then the other one, oh, right, absolutely opposite, ah. hates it. And they are completely- So is the one that loves it always trying to hug the sister that hates it? <laughs> probably, probably. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> They are that way. You're going to go tell them um, now. Like, I want to do a little test. You hug it's her. It's more of an annoyance kind of aspect. Like, let's yeah. hug you just to see if, like, we're going to set a bomb off today. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> oh, man. Which is such a kick. We love yeah. to see it. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, but, okay. <clears throat> sorry, six and eight, great, great qualities. They both are very stable people. Both are, like, the eight is really going to say what they need again. The six is going to receive that, take that on. Both are reliable great pairing five and six both would respect each other's personal space both would Mm -hmm. understand each other's need for understanding in the world and because both sit in the thinking triad it's actually really really helpful to both of them um Mm. because they both are going to sit and think together both are going to have the world's conversations both are probably going to stay up till 2 a.m solving the world's problems um okay because they have the mental stamina for that whereas me i'm like it's 11 p.m spicy sierra has come out to play because i don't want to stay up this late (laughs) like you know what i mean (laughs) i get a little bit like pokey or super goofy at that point in time yeah because i'm like i love you but i want to go to bed right yeah and maybe i'm the same way maybe when i'm awake i'm like let's chat i'm gonna challenge everything and then i'm i'm just tired and i'm beat i did all the challenging now you go to sleep (laughs) yeah you know we're it's gonna not gonna challenge itself, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. next question I want to ask you is, how <laughs> do we use our enneagram types to go into dating in general? So that's actually great, as we're just coming off of like what types might be more compatible. But how do we just mm-hmm. being aware of our own type and then go into dating? Yeah, I think right out of the gate, learn to laugh at yourself first of all. Know your trigger points. Put in the work. I feel like I can never say this enough to anybody. I have a lot of younger gals in my world that I work with. And I will always and always and always say, you should go to counseling about that. You should see someone about that. Or go see a therapist. Or go see, like, because it is so important to know yourself well enough to know when you're merging with another person, railroading another person, or not giving the other person enough credit and thinking Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're the perfectionist perfectionist not even like a type one but that if you're the, if you think you're perfect in a relationship you're yeah not, you know right um hate to break it to you but yeah. it's just not the way it works so like my tendency is to make it all about someone else but I know myself well enough to know at this point to really let my eight wing out without being prickly like I used to if I used to feel like I was um you know like making sure the other person was happy all the time. A lot of the times it was easier for me to lose myself in that relationship. But if you feel like someone is pulling the worst out of you on a daily basis, then it's time to evaluate because being yourself above all else is what we love about the Enneagram so much. Mm -hmm. And I think when you know yourself and you know your stress points, you know your security points, it's able, it's easier to gauge like, does this person bring me into that security? Do I feel like I can be my whole self with that person? Or do I feel like I need to be a different version of myself? Because there's no longevity in that. Um, yeah. and obviously it depends on what you're going for, but if you're going for stability, if you're like, you know, looking for something that has a little bit more substance to it, then it's important. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Piggybacking off of that, when you first start dating someone, mm-hmm. how can you utilize your type as a benefit and not a weakness? 
So like you start like, you know, you don't, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into being like this one dimensional person. How do you do that? Okay. Having done this. (laughs) Okay. We're going to, we're going to get really personal here, but I think it's more about viewing the other person in a light that they are not out to get you. Um, because we talked a little bit about past issues and past traumas and a lot of people enter a relationship with a myriad of baggage. And I'm talking anything from, you know, abandonment issues to codependency to, um, trigger warning, like even past abuse issues. And that Mm -hmm. comes from the emotional scale to the mental scale to everything. Um, but these all make a person up you included. And so when you're entering into a dating relationship, I think it's key to realize that all kinds of issues are going to come to the surface as people get more comfortable. Um, and utilize, utilize knowing the person's type. Like if you have the opportunity to say, Hey, I'm a let da 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 What's your type? Like even almost making a joke out of it, but mm-hmm. having that as like a starting point, um, it's going to use everything in you to refrain from stereotyping everybody. Because as soon as okay. you enter a relationship, you're going to be like, oh, you're a four. I know all of these things about you, especially if you know the Enneagram well enough. Um, right. But just because your first boy or girlfriend was a type eight, but lived in type two all the time because they they were really secure, it doesn't mean that your next boy or girlfriend who is the same type is going to sit in the same pocket. In fact, they could constantly be researching in a bit withdrawn or they could be, you know, constantly winging seven. And that's something to really make sure you're utilizing well. And Um, I think similar to how we talked about family and home is how do I draw the best out of this person? Not necessarily, I think we can come from such a complex scenario where we're like, oh, what do I get out of this relationship? But I think it's such an, you need to make the effort to say, okay, how do I draw the best out of this person? And while that's an easy ideal, when everything is new and fun and romantic and exciting, I think the real work happens after that. Um, yeah, Yeah. that's, that's where I'm at with that. I think... If we can now to like just take time to interrupt this and talk a little bit about subtypes, because Ooh. that would be an ideal situation, especially when we're talking yeah. about like first starting to date someone. And honestly, like even just coming off the back of, you know, dating a type eight who was sitting in two versus a type eight who sits in five or a type eight who like yeah. wings more seven kind of things. Like this is just another layer to things. Um, yeah. The only thing I know about subtypes is the two seconds we just mentioned the word on episode one so I'm I'm so eager to dive into this I had no idea there were subtypes here you're gonna go on a little bit of a rabbit trail after this I can send you I can send you stuff it'll be fun okay awesome (laughs) let's do it (laughs) um so centers of intelligence subtypes these were game-changing for me when I first started digging into them so they're based on the mental center which is based on your plans your language your ideals and your emotional center which is based on feelings and empathy. And then they're also based on your instinctual center, which is the body center. And and that's where our subtypes derive from. Mm -hmm. So they kind of take the form of those centers of intelligence that we talked about in the first, first episode. So are they on this diagram as well? Oh, um, they are, let me have a look. They are not. Okay. No, no, because I think they're just an added aspect to the Enneagram that a lot of people, as you said, don't really, they aren't really aware of, but they're yeah. very prevalent in or prevalent when you're like meeting another, you know, type five to type five, for example, and they're completely mm-hmm. opposite people um, okay. because they change, they change a person. It's another core aspect of a person that changes. Um, yeah. And shameless plug again here in my book, we do go into certain aspects of each type. Um, we'll talk about the self 
we'll talk about the self-preservation aspect of a type 5, the self-preservation aspect of a type 6, and the social aspect of a type 6, and the intimate aspect of a type 6, um, because it changes everything. Yeah. Um, no shameless plugs. Plug away. May, <laughs> May 24th, right? June 21st. June 24th. Yes. Okay. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> It'll be here before you know it. Yeah. I'm awesome. kind of scared, honestly. Not going to lie. <laughs> I'm excited I'm like, well, for that's you. coming soon. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'm stoked. Um. But yeah, so our subtypes are our major concern and point of attention in our day-to-day life. So okay. a kind of similar to our core motivation, what is most important? Who is most important to you? And I think if you can picture yourself sitting on like a three-legged stool, um, you know, like where you can rock back and forth and kind of things like that, um, your primary subtype is kind of where you're leaning forward. So if you're leaning forward in your stool, you've got the one leg right down the middle there. That's your that's your primary subtype. But that doesn't mean you're not using the other two to balance. So you definitely okay. use all of them. Um, you're not just one single solitary subtype. You use all of them, especially based on life at the point, at the point in time, they don't change every day. They change based on seasons, you know? So okay. everybody during COVID self-preservation mode, I yeah. laughed because I was like, Oh my gosh, everything about everyone has changed because yeah. we've gone from, anything that we've known to like, how are we going to survive? Because we've never experienced something like this before. So our, our mental state went to, went into a state of, you know, concern. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we use all of them, but just as you have that primary number, you also have a primary way of like realizing and acting. Um, so yeah. So I think the three subtypes that are most important to cover are the self-preservation the social and the intimate. So you've got, some people might say I'm a six SP or I'm a four social or I'm a Mm. two sexual or an intimate. Um, And so, yes. So the self-preservation is all about the needs for the basic material instincts for survival. Again, thinking pandemic, we're thinking security, we're talking family, we're talking food, shelter, warmth, basic needs. Mm -hmm. That's what's most important. Um, and you can see that reflected, obviously, like in certain numbers, like you're going to have certain types that are more inclined to self-preservation, like a mm. type six immediately right offhand mm. is one I would think of like, oh, self-preservation type six, because they're always the ones that are prepared. They want to make sure they have an easy escape route. They want to make sure that every, all the bases are covered. Yeah. Um, that kind of makes sense. They've got the, the, like the big bag, right? Going yes. Soccer, <laughs> like kids soccer games are going on travel and they've got everything. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the Mary Poppins. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's self-preservation. Yeah. That's the first one. The second one okay. is the social. So these are the okay. people that are all about the need for finding belonging, kind of like membership and family in community and larger group settings. So these are the people that are going to walk into a room and be like, oh my gosh, like this is my life. Of the, they're the life of the party. They love, and these honestly, like when I think about a type that would probably naturally gravitate, I'm thinking of a seven um, because they want to be on the go. They want to be in the move. They want to be bringing people along with them or three, like very excited to be with people, be in that community. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is probably an aspect of you that would come out maybe during like, I'm thinking of like a longer season of life. Like if you're wedding planning, a lot of people are going to go to like social because they're like, Oh, my family's going to be here. Some people are going to go to sexual or intimate because they're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. I'm going to do this all by myself. Nobody's going to interrupt this process. Um, but a lot of people are going to go to social because they're like, oh man, people love yeah. everything. Like all the, all the endorphins are flowing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, 
And then the final one is intimate or sexual. Um, and all of these, like, my mom laughed, like, the first time. I was like, I'm an SX9, like, because I am an intimate nine. Uh, okay. Because she was like, you're not, like, what do you mean, like, you're a sexual nine? And I'm like, because the intimate is all about our intimacy and whether that's like with others or with ourselves. Um, I think that's, what's so interesting about intimate types is that they're all about those really close relationships with others, um, and close friendships with others, but they're also really about honing that life within themselves. Um, so they want to really be connected to any kind of, or any form of like outer world aspects. They're very, um, spiritually driven. Whereas like, a social could also be in pursuit of those close relationships, but they're much less on an aspect of spirituality than an intimate one. Um, mm. And obviously that can take any way, shape or form, but intimates are all about building that life within, and love kind of within themselves as well. So yeah, I think social and self, self-preservation is all about making sure everybody's surviving. Social is all about making sure um, they, they're with people, they're enjoying people and mm-hmm being in the community, taking part in the community and intimate right. is all about taking part in themselves. So there's that. Okay. And so, yeah, I think I would actually probably put myself as like an eight, but I mean, yeah, as an eight, but then also on the intimate side of things, but how, how would someone, mm. you know, we can go take a test to find on our type. How are you, how are you, are you just looking at what you relate to more when it comes to these subtypes? I think so. And I actually have a series that I've put on my website that is very specific to each type as well. Um, So I'll send that to you. You can access that for sure. Um, But there are specific ones that work for different types. And we can go into that a little bit if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, I basically created a list of certain attributes to each type that work well. Let's see here. That kind of work well in each type. So, for example, okay. you're going to find for a type 2 SX is going to be completely different than a type 9 SX, um, et cetera, okay. et cetera. Does that kind of make okay. sense? <clears throat> yeah. Makes and we can go into those a little bit if you like. So, yeah, let's dive right into the subtypes now. I'm, I'm eager to hear about it. Um, so, self-preservation for a type 1 is the pioneer. Um, okay. They're either very anxious or very controlled. They want to impose order on the world for their own maintenance. Survival and security are channeled into the materials. They're doing to prove that they're doing the right thing and being Mm -hmm. good. And they're easily confused with the type three for a reason there. Um, So I think actually self-preservation type ones and self-preservation type threes have a lot in common. And that's probably why a lot of them find that that common thread there. So the social is like the social reformer aspect of the type one. So their keyword is unadaptable. They're very comfortable with socializing with a strong set of norms or rules. But if you take away those rules, they're like, wait a second, what happened here? Because they're type one. So they need to make sure everything's right. And then they have more of a systemic view of what's right and wrong. And that makes it more difficult for them to adapt to new situations. But they thrive in an environment of integrity and principles and where they know the rules and where they can be themselves and do things the right way. Okay. Whereas the intimate type one, or we call them the evangelist, their key word is zeal. So they're really intense in social and personal circumstances. Mm. Um, They're more idealists than other subtypes, and they have an entitled attitude to reform everything and everyone to their personal view of perfection. So their jealousy is towards their partner um, or other out-of-the-box people. Um, And they're extremely impactful on others, like just because they have like certain aspects of them that maybe aren't necessarily as, I don't know, well-received 
or healthy as other type ones, it doesn't mean that they're not valued, you know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the type two, the original one is the helper, but their self-preservation, they're the nurturer. So their key word here for self-preservation is privilege. They love building personal relationships with all the people. They can be entitled of the time spent nurturing others. They're a little bit more on the shy side. So they're really protective, but they're self-protectant in that they want to be taken care of, but hesitate to depend on others. And they tend to be kind of more withdrawn as a self-preservation. Mm. Um, whereas the social, we call the ambassador. Um, so their key word here is the ambition. They're more intellectual um, to engage communities. And they kind of, they can be a little bit seductive um, as a, like, you know, which is something that you'd expect from like a more intimate but they're yeah. more seductive than the intimate two to engage. Um, and they're really building on influence, competence, connection with others. And they often tend to lean into the three wing more dominantly. Mm, okay. And then finally, the intimate type two, we call the lover. And their key word is seduction. Um, but they can also be a bit aggressive. So their body language is more inviting. They can be a little bit flirty, focuses on personality, talents, and energies towards building that intimacy in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're able to open up and express themselves. So they're strong-willed, difficult to say no to them, and they don't like to express their own limitations at all. Okay. Yeah. So that's the type two. We're moving through these pretty quickly. Again, feel free to interrupt me anytime. Yeah. Okay. Um, Type three, we know is the primary, the achiever, but their self-preservation, we call them the company man or the company woman. They're all about corporation. <laughs> um, their key word is security. And the so these are the them, ones that we refer to, right? As like the motivational speaker. Yeah. Right. These okay. are the CEOs, the motivational speakers, <laughs> yeah. the, the businessmen, the businesswomen of the world. Yeah. Okay. So they're all about, yeah. So <laughs> the goal, they, they just, you, you can just picture them in your head. All. You know yeah, what I'm talking for about? For sure. Yeah. I'm picturing someone like on a podium right now, like at a TED talk, like I'm seeing it. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> I feel like we've had so many presidents that are type three as well. Like uh, American presidents. Yeah. Just think, cause they're charismatic. They're well-spoken. Like they know how to talk to the people, um, generally speaking. So it's, it's really interesting <laughs> yeah, and they're really okay. influential. So we've had multiple, I think, even if you, like you said, podium. So my brain was immediately like, Oh yeah. Like I've seen that definitely like in certain presidencies over the last, you know, 20 years. So it's really funny. Yeah. Um, certain presidencies. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, <laughs> right. so yeah, <laughs> stop there. <laughs> the goal is to like work hard, maintain the best image of themselves because the image again, like threes are really all about equalizing that material success and security. Um, because they want to be seen as successful. And so that's their goal with that. And then they easily accomplish security, like financial security, but they could overlay identify with their work as a type three. Um, so they avoid being seen as image oriented. There are so many people that are like, I think I'm a type three, but I don't want to be a type three because type threes get such a bad rap for being image oriented. This is true. But I think it's more about an idea of recognition um, and full of the energy and the drive that it takes to like be a type three, because honestly being a type three is hard work because once you're switched on, everybody expects you to be switched on all the time. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> yeah. um, the social, ironically enough, we are just laughing. It's called, they call themselves the politician. So the key word mm-hmm. here is prestige. They're all about that social, social prestige and recognition. The more people, you know, the better, they're more power oriented uh, than other subtype type threes. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yes. If the audience can see these nods right now. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
We all know. We all know. Right. <laughs> so they, unlike the type one, they have no issue covering up that failure aspect of things so long as okay. they and their team looks good. And they're extremely confident. <laughs> they're extremely competitive, especially when they're in the spotlight. If people are looking at them, they're like, I am going to win this thing. I Time for best. a show. Yeah. Everybody, good luck. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're just all along for the ride. Um, yeah, like, I feel like everybody with the type three, especially the social, is like, they're here for the type three's show. So okay. It's really funny, because if you're thinking about, like, a reality TV show, more likely than not, like, the star of the show is going to be, have aspects of a type three. That Ooh, I wonder how the skeptic is, what the skeptic is thinking of this. <laughs> 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 don't we all wonder would we, we need to get out? a round Maybe table not. of just one type like nine of us <laughs> there was I have a, my cousin actually when she was really into the Enneagram it was super funny they did like a, um, a table talk but they she mm. brought together like a group of women and they interviewed each set so they had like two ones and one seven and five fours and like all of these people, but they did it like on a week to week basis. Yeah. They just kind of talked to each other. And I heard about this and I was like, what a brilliant idea. Yeah. Cause they all just sat and talked to each other. Like the two ones sat on the couch and everybody was like, so what do you think about this? Why do you feel this way? Well, how do you feel when your husband does this? How do you feel when your child does this? And it was such an interesting, like mm. just even hearing from that, I was like, I need to do something like that in my world because yeah. I think your relationships would become so much more just wholesome like yeah 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 because you'd know what the other person was like oh like so this person is dealing with this right now how can I help them how can I help me yeah. figure it out how can I be there for you you know in the best way possible right. what do you need for me not what can I give to you yes yeah 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 um, so <laughs> the last one for type three is the intimate. We call these ones the movie stars. Um, okay. their keyword is charisma. So their mm. successful quote unquote image is their, they want to be attractive as a male or a female. So they stay in that performer role, both on stage and in relationships. They never take a break. They're very charming. They're very enthusiastic. Their kind of mantra is like, your success is my success. So they're all about competing for the attention of their closest friends. Um, but because of that, they can suppress their own feelings a little bit yeah. more easily because they want to make sure that their relationships are more evident. Okay. Yeah. So moving along to type four, the individual, their self-preservation mode is the creative individualist. So their key word here is tenacity. They're really eager to get up and go when they feel the authenticity seems elsewhere because they want to preserve that feeling of authenticity. Um, mm -hmm. that is an aspect of their self-preservation. If things don't feel real, they're out of there. They're like, I can't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that tension between wanting adequate security and then still wanting to detach from the necessities and stay in their own world and stay in their own zone. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they're very empathetic to the fellow sufferers in the world because type fours, again, are based a lot in the aspect of suffering um, and how mm. that can be a little bit more overly romantic to them. Um, and so they want to be there with the sufferers. Right. Um, so then the social aspect of the type four is the commentator. So their keywords, shame and honor, their social gatherings are... They can make them feel a little bit more deficient because they don't feel like they're truly understood in larger groups. Mm -hmm. um, and then they want to establish more of a leadership-oriented, like, acceptable role so that they can fit into a group and help bring others' emotions out. So the tension here is in wanting to stay individual but still remain intact and whole in society. Um, so there's that, again, that push-pull dynamic of type four, um, not competitive, often um, comparing, I guess. Right, okay. Yeah, so they're still going to be comparing themselves. 
Um, the final one for intimate is the dramatic. So the key word here is competition. So these ones are a little bit more shameless than shameful. So fours struggle with that shame aspect of themselves. But the type four intimate, shameless. They're intensely vocal about their feelings and needs more so than any other subtype. Mm. They're much more demanding and much more competitive than any of the other four subtypes because they want to be the best in what they do in order to mask their true feelings, um, right. which okay. is such an interesting aspect of a type four because type four is, again, still all about that individualistic mindset, Yeah. but but they still have that. They want to mask. They, want, they feel like they need to wear the mask in order to fit in. Does that make Got sense? It. Yeah. Yeah. These like subtypes are have this like nuance of like challenging our main type, right? Yeah, they yeah. really do. They bring yeah. us into a completely different. And again, I think that's why it's so interesting because it's like you can be a type eight, but what subtype you are could change everything, you know? Ah, Especially okay. in how people relate to you. Yeah. yeah. So type five, the investigator is the original. Self-preservation, I laugh because I think about a castle defense. Because the key word for type five is home. Home is their castle. That's their place to be safe. They retreat from the world. Um, and they're doing everything in their power to maintain that. So even if that means they're continuously on the move um, as a self-preservation. So their concern is about having enough material supplies. They're very protective of their privacy and space. They don't want to lower their guard. And they'd rather observe social situations than interact with anybody in social situations. Yeah. Whereas like a social is the professor. So their keyword symbols, they're hungry for knowledge. They want to understand the language of society. Um, but because they're a bit more withdrawn, they struggle being trapped in the role of a teacher who wants to understand students because a lot of people will tend to put the five in the role of that because they're always the ones who are like, well, actually, did you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so they focus on the big questions. They don't like sharing their personal time and that can lead to disconnections. Mm. And they'd rather, you know, disconnect from their emotions in the long haul and connect with their understanding of things. Yeah. And just because they feel like that contributes more to their well-being. Okay. But on the other side, you have the intimate investigator. And this is really funny because a lot of invest, like when you think about a type five and how we talked about subtypes before, how it's all about the life within for them a little bit, mm -hmm. their keyword is confidentiality. So they share their confidences to a few very trusted people, but they enjoy that connection. Whereas, like, if they're sharing with a lot of people, they don't enjoy the connection as much. So their relationships are very selective. They're quite secretive with them, actually. And they have a tension between the need for contact and the need to preserve themselves. So they risk dependence mm. on these people to help them feel more alive and loyal in an otherwise very protected and private world um, for a type 5. Like, that is their castle, again. So yeah. they're all about that, protecting that, even, even when they're social, even when they're a sexual subtype. So okay. that is your type five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The loyalist is self-preservation. They're the family loyalist. They are all about the warmth. They overcome their rejection, their fear by making connection using that communication. So their fear is being left out because sixes have that tendency to being afraid like when they're not healthy. Um, so the fear is being left out and groups have that security of safety in numbers. The loyalist is all about making sure they're staying in groups. So they're more cautious in opinion than risking judgment at this point in time. Yeah. Um, they're not going to bring. I was just going to say, so yeah. because the type six is a, is the skeptic, but also the loyalist, right? Yes. Yeah. Can you, as we go into these, like explain how those two are all part of like the same type mm. or why they're yeah. both kind of categorized in that way? 
Yes. So it's actually really interesting because you got the, the skeptic aspect of things and you can kind of see that in self-preservation um, because the skeptic side of things is anger repressing. The loyalist okay. side of things is genuine. Um, the skeptic side of things is I need to make connection for warmth. It can seem a little bit manipulation. The loyalist side of things is, again, the groups have security in numbers. Um, mm. And so they're more cautious in their opinions because they don't want to risk judgment and therefore being kicked out of the group. Um, Got it. Okay. Yeah. But they're also not narcissistic. They're not fake. Um, and so there's that aspect of, you know, in their weakness, love me when I can't think I, when I think I can't trust myself. Like that's a really big deal to the sixes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you can see that reflected. And then over in the social, um, the key word for them is duty. So their clarity is regarding their role in the group. They want to know where they stand with everybody. And you can see this in the skeptic side of things. Cause they're like, okay, like if I know where I stand, then I can make a safe exit or I can stay here. Well, um, and that's their biggest concern. And then I think they need to really know the rules in order to, it's so similar to type one here. They want to know the rules because again, they want to avoid any risk of rejection. So again, there's the loyalist there. They want to make sure they're loyal to what's important, but it also ensures that everybody else also knows what is expected of them. And this is again, as we were saying, like the type ones and the type sixes get confused a bit um, at times because Type ones are really hung up on the fact that they need to know that what is expected of them so they can fulfill that requirement and fulfill that need. But they also want everybody to know what they're contributing to the party um, so mm-hmm. that everybody sees exactly what value they bring to the table so that they don't reject them. They don't avoid them in the future. Okay. Yeah. yeah awesome. Whereas the intimate, we call the warrior because sixes are not necessarily known to be like the most outspoken, bravest type. Yeah. Um, but their key word is actually strength because in their strength, they're all about overcoming and avoiding through fears, through courage or through strength of their own intelligence, um, their own idealism, their own wit. Um, so in beauty, they're overcoming and avoiding those fears and they're more bold, more assertive. And I think, honestly, I've seen them be more intimidating than other subtypes. So this is where the six subtype SX has often been mistyped for eights, which is really interesting because their motto that I've seen in this kind of type six is the best defense is a good offense. So they have a little bit more trouble connecting to their own vulnerability because they want to feel in control and they want to feel strong. Okay. And you can see that more reflected, I think, in the loyalist than you can see in the skeptic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. You also have something called the phobic and the counterphobic sixes. Um, and that's based again on fear and how this the response to fear is. Let me see if I can find that really quickly. So counterphobic sixes are more bold when they're healthy, when they're stressed. Um, but whereas like a phobic six is a little bit more how they keep themselves safe. So counterphobic can be a little bit more like erratic and phobic can be a little bit more. Mm safety oriented yeah Um, okay and so that also plays into things and that's the only type that has that aspect of things to them because sixes can be very fear oriented um yeah so that yeah 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you say it that way, that it makes a lot of sense because it's like, if they're the loyalist, they're valuing loyalty, but then they're going to have that skepticism or like fear that like, am I getting that in return? Because that is what I like, that is what I desire. And I fear when it's not being given to me and they, they want to provide that to others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Great. Succinct. Did I do it? That That was awesome. (laughs) Thank you for communicating this so well. (laughs) All right. I got it. Type seven, the enthusiast. So their self-preservation, their key word is family. They enjoy all the abundance that comes with family and friend circles. They're all about the planning and the preparation. They can be a bit more overindulgent, but they're also in this, in this aspect, they're also creating their own family of supporters. So they're motivated by wanting the best for everybody. Um, but they can also risk being self-absorbed. Um, the social aspect of the type seven is the utopian and they're very visionary. So their key word here is sacrifice. So they're actually quite paradoxical because they can be seen often as a type two. This is where those two can connect a little bit. So they're really generous. They sacrifice what they want for their individual or for the community. And they have a really strong desire to create a better world. So they need friends, they need ideas, and they need projects to express their love for life. But they're also recognizing consistently um, that their plans are limited because of the sacrifice that they make to include everyone. Okay. Whereas like the intimate seven (laughs) is all about the adventuring. Bless you. Was that a sneeze? Oh, it was a cough. But thank you. Oh, sorry. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So the key word here is fascination. Um, So they're all about the influence of beauty and new adventures and experiences and ideas and people. And they're more fascinated instead of connecting. Um, Mm. So they're intimate, but they're also like, oh, what's interesting about this? Not the relational aspect of this. So they're really charming. They connect more to the possibility than the realism. And they're a bit more on the romantic side of things. Okay. Mm. Um, Yeah. Type eight, the challenger. So the self-preservation here is the survivalist. So the key word is satisfaction. They're really strong, really direct, powerful in their appearance, their mannerism. People think they're extremely confident, even if they don't feel confident. Um, (laughs) We just talked about this in the last episode, (laughs) which is why I laughed. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) Um, But even through like the more challenging situations, they're like the pillar of community. Um, they're the survivors. And so they often take on like the protective role of a mother figure or father figure. And they're extremely kind people um, until they're pushed beyond their limits. And then they can be really shameless. And their motto, I feel like, is like win or go down fighting. Um, and so I laugh when I think about people that I know in my world that are like, oh, yeah. no, you win or you die trying. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> like, just going to lock that away for future reference. <laughs> yeah. All these points, it's like making sense because when I was younger, I was the one, like, especially when I was, I would say like middle school, high school, where I would reach out mm. to like cousins we haven't seen in a while. I'm like, I want to see how such and such is doing. My sister would yeah. always tell me, how do you like, I don't, that's just a lot. Like she's not, she's not one to want to be on the phone. So she's in her heart. She's like, I'm wishing them well, but also I'm not going to reach out to like 10 of our cousins to see how they're all doing, you know? Yeah. And then also the point you made about, yes, I, I, I identify with being very, very nice until you've like pushed me beyond my limits. Like I'm I so mean, nice like, until you watch out. Advantage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. You're going to relate with all of these, but you will find that there is one type that is going to stick out to you a little bit more. Ah, all right. It's so funny. So I'm interested to see, I'm interested to see where we land. Okay. Um, the next one is the social. So we call this one the gang leader. Uh, the keyword here is solidarity. 
They're more driven to support others than to express their own needs and ideas. So calling up cousins, making sure everybody's okay, you know, um, mm. that is the support others. It's not necessarily because you need anything from them. You're just like, yeah. hey, want to check in, want to see how you're going. They're really sensitive to injustice. So any kind of leadership power that they might have, they're going to influence everything in their world that they feel is wrong. Um, so if they're feeling like, you know, something happened over here, they don't like that so-and-so didn't do the dishes today. We're going to influence that for the better, you know? And that's obviously something <laughs> minuscule on the grand scheme of things. Right. So what people would think would be like externalized anger is actually mediated more by the group's needs. And so they're all about, let's find the common agenda here. And so their loyalty is more precedent over their own feelings, which is a really strange thing for an eight because an eight is all about like, no, this is how I feel. Everybody understand this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, then finally, the intimate we call the commander. So their key word here is possession. So they are the trailblazer of eight subtypes. They are impulsive. They really want intensity, which is a similar to a four, actually. And they're generally pretty unapologetic to create change in their world. And they're willing to disrupt to prove their own influence. Okay. Um, so they prefer to serve from a central role of leadership. They don't necessarily want to be the background person. They want to be the one that's like, hey, I'm the one creating this change. Everybody get on board. Um, hmm. And so they can be a little bit more forceful and controlling to possess their relationships, but when they're feeling really confident, really well-matched, because again, these are the intimates, um, they can learn to let go of themselves a little bit more because they re they recognize that someone is bringing something good out of them too. So is, this, that is that the one you were referring to? Hmm? Is that the one you were referring to? You said you can't wait to see how I, how I relate no, to that one. Oh, they're all, I was saying like, they're all, they're all three of them. You're going to utilize all three of them. So I'm interested oh, yeah. to see where, like, wait, where we land. Do you feel like one of those sticks out to you more than the others? I would say, um, uh, maybe the first two more than the last only because mm -hmm. I relate to the part of the eight more so where I don't want to, I mean, I guess that's still the same, but like, I don't want to control people. I just don't want to be controlled. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking when it comes to like making a change, I don't even need it to be like, hey, I'm the one making this change. I just yeah. want to know that people fully understand the change and like why it needs to be made. Yeah. So like everyone feels, you know, like they're understood or like everyone mm -hmm. feels like they're like equal. Yeah. Um yeah, so I, I kind of relate to it in that aspect. And it might be more so like what you, the last part you said is kind of like taking a step back and realizing like you know, that there's like some comfort level there. I can trust people around me. And that's probably when I can kind of loosen up a little bit more, but mm -hmm. yeah, I would say the first two for sure. The second one is more so like, just like, I have this, you know, like trust in my decisions kind of thing. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I think that was me breaking out at like 18 where I'm like, I'm an adult. I know what I'm doing. I don't need you to tell me this thing now, you know? <laughs> and I, that's why I said I yeah. could also relate to the whole, like when parents are saying like, even if you're 50, you're always going to be like my baby because I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not a baby. Like I know what I'm doing here. You know, it's fine. I know exactly what I'm doing. Have you not seen how much life I've lived? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think, but I think you make a really good point too, when you're saying that's not about like how eights can be mis easily misunderstood is like, they want to like argue, which is like, no, I just have this thing of like how I feel. And I want to make sure like you understand it. It's not from like a hostile standpoint. It's just like, no, you feel like you're, you already can sense you're being misunderstood and you're trying to like, make sure you get that point across. Yeah. yeah. It's such a true thing. I, again, 
eights can be so misunderstood and actually really makes me sad because <laughs> eights are some of my favorite people, like not going to lie, because they're always communicating well. So I always know where I stand. I know that we're not going to deal with any BS. I know that everything's going to be on the table. Yeah. And it's like, it's not from a place of anger. And I feel like for some reason, just because we come from a world that's like, oh no, like everybody needs to be kind. And, and I agree with that. Like, I think kindness is a valuable quality mm. but I think that if you're not kind to yourself and the way you communicate you can't expect other people to have that same level yeah. of trust and trust is massive you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I agree because it's like you're we're creating like boundaries for ourselves right there's not rules but everybody has their own healthy boundaries so if you're yeah being so careful, like what you said, I think we should all be kind, but if you're being so careful that you're then not getting the point across, well, then you're not, like you said, protecting yourself and the process. You want to be so kind that then they're still missing the point of what you're saying. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you have a type eight in your world and you're listening, don't judge them that quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I promise I'm nice. (laughs) Don't judge a book by its cover. Yes. Amen. Uh, So the last one we have, the type nine, is the peacemaker. So the self-preservation we call the collector. Um, And they have a tendency to fall asleep on themselves or numb with food and with people and with consumption because it's just the way they can get their brain off of everything going on in the world. So their material abundance, and again, the self-preservation, the collector, so what they collect, it translates to maturity, even though it's not that way at all. Um, So things can be a little bit more strategic on their point because they want to escape. So peace and their alone time are really important. Irritation can happen when these are disrupted. And these can be the most eight-ish of the nine subtypes. And I laugh when I say that because Mm. these kind of nines can still wing one, but they're still going to have way more aspects of a type eight than any of the other nine subtypes. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, cool. All right. The social is the community benefactor. So they're all about participation. Um, so they're not necessarily withdrawn. They're way more blended with the agenda of friends and social groups and leadership and contribution for the group's well-being. But when they're unhealthy in these kind of places, again, they fall asleep to their personal priorities. Um, and they're easy. They, they hide that pain and stress. They want to maintain a happy front to avoid burning, burdening others with their intensity, with the way they think about things. Um, so they can kind of hide behind those a little bit. <laughs> Um, And then the last one is the seeker, so the intimate, and they want to fuse, they want to merge with God, they want to merge with a person, they want to merge with nature, they want they don't necessarily want to be themselves. And that's why we call them the seeker, because they're always looking for someone to hold that stability with. Mm -hmm. And as we said before, we're talking about relationship stability is really a a discerning factor for the nine. They want to be pulled out of themselves with problems keeping their personal boundaries. So... On the one hand, they're like, oh, I want to be brought out of myself. Like, and that's why I relate to this so much because I'm like, oh, no, I need to be pulled out of myself. Threes and sevens do that. But mm-hmm. I have really diff- I have big issues when it comes <laughs> to keeping boundaries when I'm like with threes and sevens because I'm like, yes, I can go, 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 go. And then I'm dead at the end of the day. <laughs> ah, see, that's why you need a challenger there in the group too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so they're way more secure when they're with a few choice people. Uh, and then they are more challenging on their own because they have to make their own choices. Um, mm, okay. Yes. And, and so, so and you relate to all of that. That's me. I am. Okay. I am an intimate nine. Yeah. Okay. Way more so than the first two. So. Okay. Because I can see myself more so in preservation, like self 
self-preservation. I think social is probably the last leg of the stool I'm on, um, which is funny because I'm actually – I'm an introvert, but I'm also very extroverted. Like, I love being the life of the party. Like, I will show up, and I'm like, oh, it's so exciting. Like, let's make sure everybody's comfortable, but then I'm still drained at the end of that time. Yeah, so. that's the same way I am. Yeah, like, I can do – I'm an introvert in the, you know, the sense of like, we like those deep connections versus like just talking to everyone. So I mm-hmm. will, there are times where I'm the life of the party. It's not my intention, but everyone will tell me that, oh, you're the life of the party kind of thing. But I want to, I, I do it. I tend to do it more with like people I'm close with, you know, like my yes. family, my friends. It's not just like a bunch of strangers and mm-hmm. then I'm having the best time. But like you said, once I go home, it's like, I'm in hibernation for like a yes. week afterward. Yeah. <laughs> That's the yeah, way. it's not a bad thing. All right. So I, I find this, I, I pulled a couple of questions from our audience and there's two on here that I think are, would be like a nice way to kind of wrap up this conversation. Yeah. And one of them is what types tend to want to go against the grain and resist things like relationship labels, marriage, and other more like more traditional elements of a relationship. Yes. In a nutshell, I would say there's a tendency to go against the grain in the type five, the type seven, maybe the type eight. And that's only if you're talking about like avoiding marriage due to like the commitment factor. Um, Because a type four is going to go against the grain in almost anything because they desire to be themselves, you know? Okay. Um, So catching a type four doing something like slightly less less traditional for their wedding or for any kind of commitment is really common. And that's why subtypes are so important because if a particular Mm. type is, you know, self-preservation, they're going to continue to consider the aspect of structure behind marriage and the security of having someone committed. So a type six or like a type two, for example, both need to know that they're going to have someone or they're going to go crazy dealing with the idea that someone else is going to come and take that person out for them to them, or they're going to feel undervalued. And obviously that's not true for everybody, but if you're in a state of health, I think those right offhand, those are the types that are probably going to go against the relationship labels, fives, sevens, eights. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Not true for everybody. That's the short answer. (laughs) What what about like, what if it's not a commitment and it's a matter of, um, like everybody else does that, you know what I mean? Like Mm. maybe not the commitment thing, but like, I don't want this label because that's what everybody else does, you know, like just kind of Mm. like just the, just the being different part alone, which I'm sure is like what you're going to say again is like probably the individualist most, but are there any other ones where it's just strictly, I just don't want to do it because everybody else does it. I would say, I would say, well, cause see, here's the thing is like ones are very traditional and they're like, no, this is how it's always been done. Twos need to be loved. And so they're going to be like, no, I need to be as committed as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would say probably again, maybe the threes would probably shy away cause they're going to want to make everything bigger and better. Um, okay. yeah. so they're probably going to be the ones who are like, so-and-so had this wedding. I'm going to have this wedding and an elephant at my wedding. Like, <laughs> you Got know it. what I mean? Right. Um, or if we're even talking about relationship labels, everybody else does this, so we're going to do this. I would say might be an individual, but the individualist is always about, you know, in a very paradoxical way, they want to fit into society. Um, and okay. they always feel like they're going to be lacking. So I think for them, like even saying something like, I don't want to slap a label on anything is going to be a bit detrimental to their personal health. So yeah. I don't even know if it like depends on a number or a type. I think it yeah. would more so depend on like the person. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the three though, it does make sense. Like it, it tracks with like what we know about the, tr- the, the three to say like, I'm yeah. going to have a wedding and an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> total sense. It makes total you sense. You think I was being like metaphorical? Absolutely not. Like, <laughs> right. 
Um, okay, the last question we have is how do how does knowing our Enneagram types help us when dealing with conflict in relationships? Mm. All right, so conflict in relationships, I think can be such a game changer. It can be like a deal breaker. Um, and as a type nine, I've hated confrontation my entire life. And most people tend to be conflict avoidant because of the whole, you know, love should be easy message we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the reality is you don't know how much you love that person in your life until you've had a conflict with them. Like I am a firm yep. believer in that because you have no idea how anyone can manage anger and stress and et cetera. And, you know, you can actually make a thoroughly educated choice on how long you want the longevity of the relationship to be and then like move accordingly from there um so I think when you're dealing with conflict with your partner communication is key and that is such a cliche but like when we're talking about knowing our partners identifying traits of stress at the beginning it's a huge aspect because at that point you're able to say hey look I can see you're a little bit stressed lately what's going on for you how can I help how can I contribute and because when we become better like our relationships around us become better you know, um, and I think vulnerability is such an aspect of things that we never talk about. Um, and showing some piece of yourself, like, why do we not talk about that? There should be a disclaimer somewhere that's like sign here. Heartbreak is possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then I think there are aspects of loving ourselves and our weaknesses that actually really make us attractive people too. Um, so when we're vulnerable, the other person is vulnerable. I think you have something that is stronger than a point of conflict. Yeah, I think that's a good point because it's like we we deal with um, like let down right with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like we 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 know how to deal with heartbreak when it comes to like our own personal connection. Yeah, we should be able to apply that to our relationships. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This was great, Sierra. Thank you so much for coming back with me and diving into love. There's so many things I just did not know about the enneagram, like diving into the subtypes. Um, this really puts things into perspective and helps us know that it's not just like this one type and kind of like labeling the person, but there's all these like different Mm. facets that go along with it. So I think that's really awesome. And then next week we have you on to talk about work. Yes, we are on to talk about work. I'm really looking forward to that one. Thanks so much for having me back today. It was great chatting with you. This brought up so many different conversations as well that I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought about. So thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye for now. Hi, this is Sierra McKenzie. I've written a book, Complete Guide to the Enneagram, which is a modern approach on self-discovery and connecting well with others. This book is for anyone looking to unlock your potential for growth, success, and self-discovery while also understanding the people around you better. Go ahead and pre-order the book available in the show notes. Hope you enjoy it.